Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be with you guys. I want to welcome all of you guys on behalf of Crossroads and just say thank you guys for coming. We hope that you're enjoying your time. We also are just so blessed to be able to touch lives all around the world through our Facebook campus. And right now, we want to go ahead and welcome Nicole Jackson. She's watching in Sonoma, California. She's joining us as well. So welcome, Nicole. Let's let her know how much we love her. I... Uh, I have just been so blessed by uh, this church and blessed. We have an amazing, amazing senior pastor and senior leader in Pastor Chuck Boer. Do you agree? And uh, for me, it's just really special, you know, for him to look at me and look at my life and how short I had been a Christian and to see something in me and to trust me and to put me in charge of 50 junior hires. Now that I think about it, I think he was trying to punish me, not actually bless me. <laughs> Have you ever been around a junior hire? Just one of them. Imagine 50 of them. So um, if you ever see Noah, our junior high pastor, make sure you pray for him. He needs lots of that. Uh, I'm excited for the message that we're going to share, um, that I get to share with you this morning. And I, I know that um, some of you are going to walk out of here, and I hope that you're encouraged. You're encouraged by the verse that has just constantly, constantly just spoken to me over my life as a Christian. And I don't know if, you, if you're like me, and you get this sense. But as I grow in the Lord and as I get older and as I begin to learn more about God, the less I know about God. It's like, it never ends. Like, I just, I, I think I get a little bit more of understanding and it's like, he just becomes bigger and more magnanimous and it's like, this God is incredible. He's constantly uh, just changing the way I see him and the way I experience him and I love it. I love the way I get to know God like that and I get closer and closer and it's like, I just see the bigger, vast expanse that he is. And I, I wanna tell you, that I know that there are a lot of Christians today who are not experiencing that life. And it, it, it frustrates me, it bugs me, it saddens me, it hurts me, because I get to experience it, and I think, man, there's no reason why, why Christians shouldn't be getting this. Now, obviously, those who aren't Christian, man, the life that they're experiencing is far beyond God's best for their life. Far, it's far, far beneath what God has for them. He has so much more for them. Um, there's a, a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality written by Pete Scazzaro. And if you want to pick it up, it's a great read. I would recommend it to you. But in it, Pete Scazzaro talks about um, how our view of God, our perspective of God, is literally shaped and changed by the way that we are raised, by the, the authority figures in our life, parents, teachers, family members, those kinds of authority figures in our people we look up to, they actually shape and mold our perspective and view of God. Now, that can be a good thing. It can also be a bit very dangerous thing because if you grew up in a household where it was always achieve, you had to get good grades in order for you to receive some sort of encouragement or, or applause or love from your parents, then you grew up with this understanding that God needed me to do something in order for him to love me back. And so you live your life as a Christian trying to achieve, 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 and then you never really experience the life that God has for you. Unfortunately, some people grow up in a household where they deal and struggle with constant insecurities, and so they're always insecure about their walk with God. And you know what? Those kinds of things, they rob our life, the life that God has for us. It robs us of those things, and that's not what God has for us. It's not what he's meant for us to live. Some people live in fear. Some people live in guilt. Some people live in shame. All of these things are stripping away the life that God has called for all of us to live. And, uh, you know, it was just a, about two or three months ago, I was in a place in my life where I was literally living in this disparity, anxiety, insecurity about my calling. Was I supposed to be here? Am I in the right place? Is this what really God wants for me? I heard all of these voices in my head, and this voice kept saying in my ear, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Look at you. Who do you think you are? What right do you have? And I would hear this voice, and it would get so loud. And that's all I would hear. And so we went to this conference in Dallas, 
and a worship song came on. And all of a sudden, the voice in my ear was eclipsed by an even louder voice. It was the voice of a God who told me who I was. It was the voice of a God who looked at me and said, no, you're my son. And when I speak truth in in your life, you'll understand. And so right now, I want you to hear the song that I heard that day that spoke to me. And I know some of you in here are going to be encouraged by this song. Let the words speak to your heart. Let the words just, just speak deeply into your soul as you hear this song.
Well, anybody who's in here who's dealing with that, I want to tell you, you are all that he says you are. And you are his. And so we're going to go into our, my life verse, which is John chapter 10. If you go ahead and flip there, I want to just say uh, this morning, before we jump into the message, I'd like to read this particular passage of John chapter 10, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into that. Um, it says this in John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And so Jesus said to them again, he says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. And then my life verse, John chapter 10 says, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal kill and to destroy and i came that you might have life and have it abundantly exceedingly beyond all that you could ever think or imagine that's the life that god has for us let's pray this morning father we thank you lord we thank you for the life that you've called all of us to lord we thank you for the life that uh, we get to live and lord we look to you we look for your uh, guidance in our life and father we pray that this morning you would speak to the hearts of those who so desperately need to understand that you have something so much bigger and so much better for them than they could ever imagine. And I pray they would grab a hold of it and grasp it and never let go. And Father, I pray for some of who just need to be revitalized in their walk with you, that today they would walk out of here refreshed, renewed, energized, because they know that they are all that you say that they are. And so, Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, inhabit this place. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, so the first thing I want to kind of do is break down John chapter 10, verse 10, because I think there's two things in here that we have to understand, and I think a lot of people miss it, because it's real easy to grab a hold of that, you know, life and life abundantly thing, but there's two promises that are in this particular passage that if you don't catch a hold of, you could be in for some real trouble. You see, the first promise is that God came to give you life and life abundantly. That's great. I love it. The other side of that is there's a counterfeit promise in there. It's a promise nonetheless, but it's this, that the thief, meaning Satan, has come only to steal, kill, and to destroy, okay? There's two promises there, and we got to understand that and know that. Now, here's the beautiful part. God's promises are his promises are his promises, and so you can count on it. When God makes a promise, you can count on it, but here's what I think happens. I think in life, a lot of Christians, we buy into the wrong things. We settle for the wrong things and we hold on to certain things. Like, here's a good one. People hold on to, I gotta have answers. I want answers. You know, if I could just get this answered, then I think my life, my faith, my understanding of God would just grow. I just want the answer. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything evil or inherently wrong with getting answers, but I will say this. I think a lot of times we so desperately seek for answers, we hold on to those things so tightly, and half the time when we get the answers, it's not necessarily what we wanted to hear. I, uh, I went to school with a young man who, um, he lost both of his parents early on in his life. And uh, he struggled, and I watched it. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I knew it was hard. I mean, he didn't have his parents, and I watched it. We went to a Christian school, 
And I watched him struggle with God. And, uh, you know, it was years later after we had kind of separated and went ways that I had found the Lord and I was, you know, working at a church and we had a chance to kind of reconnect. And we sat and talked and he's asking me about my life and I'm sharing with him about what God's doing in my life and I could just see it in his face. He just couldn't get it. He couldn't grasp it. And I said, so what about you? And his answer to me was, Ronnie, I just don't understand why. Why would God do this to me? I was innocent in all of this. I didn't do anything, but God took my parents from me, and I was, had to go through foster homes. I didn't have anybody there that was there for me. Why would God do that to me? You know, we left that conversation. It never really was, never really finished. But I saw the bitterness, and I saw the anger, and I saw the hurt in his, in his, in his face, and his eyes. But I, I got to tell you, I think he was holding on to the wrong things. You see, he wanted answers. But I want to tell you something today, Crossroads. God gives you something better than answers. You know what that is? His promise. His promises are better than answers because you can count on his promises. And guess what? Let me tell you what his promise is. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. If you don't have this verse memorized, then maybe you're not a Christian. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a reason why Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is plastered on every little house trinket you can ever imagine. You walk into any Christian bookstore, Jeremiah 29, 11. There's posters everywhere. They have it on. There's a reason why. Because Jeremiah 29, 11 is a promise from God about you and me and our life. And you know what Jeremiah 29, 11 says? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good. To give you a future and a hope. Did you, did you, did you grasp that? See, God's, his promises are better than answers because you might get an answer in the moment, but that's not what you were really looking for. But you can always rely and bank on the fact that God will cause all things to work for good for those who love him. Because that's the God we serve. We serve a God who makes promises that says, I have plans for good for your life. I have something even better. And right now, if you're holding on to answers, man, you're living less than God's best for your life. And he says, you need to let go of that. You need to hold on to the promises that I have for you. Now, I want to say this. If you're not living the abundant life, if you're not experiencing this life abundantly in your Christian walk, then I would say this, that it's possible that you don't have the proper perspective on who God is and how God sees you and views your life. Uh, if you were to go ahead and flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to I break down a couple of passages here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but let me just explain the book of Timothy, the two books of Timothy. These letters were written by the Apostle Paul, and I got to tell you, man, some of the most powerful words ever penned were the words penned by Paul because this was his last few remaining hours, days in his life. Paul, at this point, he had fought the good fight. He had made it all the way to the end. He had watched churches rise up. He had seen many, many people come to know the Lord. He, his life changed radically. He had been persecuted, and he, he knew where he was sitting was the time was coming where he was about to have his life taken from him. And so you can, you can believe that the last words that Paul ever is going to pen are going to be some powerful ones and very meaningful ones as he gives to his young protege, Timothy, who's about to pastor a church. And Paul's saying, okay, I'm commissioning you now because it's time for me to go. You're going to have to take over. And he goes, when you go to this church, he says, you got to make sure that the people of this church have a proper perspective of who God is and how he sees the life that they're supposed to live. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he starts off and he says this. He says this to Timothy. To Timothy. He, says, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. You can circle that, highlight that, underline that if you want. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 
You were called to the eternal life. Now, here's the thing. I think today in Christianity, we have the gospel message. We have misunderstood the gospel message. See, a lot of times people think that the gospel message is how to get to heaven after I die. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is how do I get to heaven before I die? How do I get to heaven before I die? See, God says, no, you can live life with me now. That's why in, in Matthew 4, 17, the first thing that Jesus said when he started his ministry is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here today. You can choose to walk and be a part of that eternal perspective, that eternal life. He says, I have it for you here. And Paul tells Timothy, remind the church this. Remind them to have the proper perspective of the eternal life that you were called and so he goes on and he says, remember, Timothy, he says, you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, remember the, remember the decision that you made for Jesus Christ. Remember when you said, I give my life to him. This is your life, God. He says, hold fast to that. And Paul was urging Timothy to get a grip of the realities of the eternal life so that he would live with a heavenly and eternal perspective. God, he, he wanted Timothy to live with this perspective where his eyes were focused on heaven, not earth. And let me tell you something, man. When your eyes are focused on heaven and not earth, the things that are temporal that happen in your situation, they don't matter. Because you know you have a God who has something better for you. He has a promise for you. You don't need answers. Now, I want to say this, that it's important as we talk about this life and life abundantly, sometimes the message can get confused. Life and life abundantly doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to pertain to physical goods and physical things in this life. Remember, the passage doesn't say, I came that you might have things and things abundantly. That's not what he said. He says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. See, that's the life that God has called us. Now, I, I know that some people, you know, think that, oh, should I not have those things? No, that's not what he's saying. Listen to what he says, and he continues on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Paul continues to address this issue uh, with Timothy, and look what he says. He says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. So he's saying, let's get all of this stuff that we have in our life, let's get it into proper perspective and where it fits. And so he says the thing that's important for them is they need to do good, be rich in good works, and generous and ready to share, ready to give, ready to love God and love others. If you ask any child, what are the two most important days in their life? You know what they'll tell you? Birthday and Christmas, right? Every child, birthday and Christmas, they just want birthday and Christmas because yeah, it's presents, it's all about me, it's what I get. I went to a birthday uh, party recently and it was awesome. The kid had so many presents, it looked like a toy store blew up in the living room. And he's just, the look on his face, man, he's ripping through presents, it's like, you don't even look at the present they open, just rip it open and throw the next one, you know, it's like, they're so excited about it. And to them, that's life. But if you ask a parent, what's it all about? And they'll tell you, it's about giving. It's about being able to see the look on a child's face when they get the unexpected. When the thing that they've been wanting for and hoping for, all of a sudden they open it up and there it is. And the look on their face, this is what life is about. Remember, Paul said, it is better to give than to receive. And so we don't get this message of life and life abundant and things and things abundant. He says the proper perspective is don't focus on those things. He said it's to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share and ready to love. He says that gives us the proper perspective of the things that we have in our life. And then he goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. What future is Paul talking about there? Eternity. 
Right? He just did it a few verses ago. He said, it's all about eternity. Grab a hold of that. He says, you're storing up for yourselves a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You see that? Paul very clearly lays out what the abundant life is. He says, that's life abundantly. Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So if it's the things in your life that you've you've raised up in this elevation where you're holding on to these things, he says, that's where your treasure is. Your treasure is not with me. If you're willing to let go of those things and those things don't have a hold of you, he says, then I know where your heart is. Now, I do want to say this, that it's not necessarily bad that we have things in our life. We don't want to go to the far end of the extreme where we, you know, we live this poverty gospel where I can't have anything because Jesus didn't have anything in his life. No, that's not what we're saying here. I know Jesus didn't have a lot of things in his life, and he did have the life abundantly. But you know what? We're here today. We have things. It's okay. Enjoy those things. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But God doesn't want you to get so caught up in those things and make those things the, the whole of our life. In fact, there was the same man, Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy. And I, I believe 100% the reason why he was able to write these words to Timothy is because he lived it. And in, a chap- in Philippians chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen to this. In Philippians chapter 4, in light of what I just shared... Paul, he lived the life where he had it all. He had fame. He had notoriety. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was looked up to. People sought after him. He knew all the the things that he had. He had it all. And yet when he became a Christian, God stripped all those things from him. He had nothing. And so he went through his life, and he would be persecuted. And he would be stoned, and he would be beaten, and he would be thrown in prison. He had everything taken away. Everyone abandoned him. He had nothing. So he lived on both ends of the spectrum. And so in light of that, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, he says this, I have learned to live in all circumstances, and he did. You name it, he did it. But he said, in the end, it was only the strength of Christ in the abundant life that I was able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Paul had the He had the proper perspective. He had the eternal perspective. He knew that no matter what happened in his life, it was all temporal, and that he was holding on to something eternal that was much greater, much bigger than this life here today. He says, that's what I held held on to. Now, I want to say this lastly, as we talk about this abundant life, the abundant life that God has called us to. Your heart, your heart, you have to understand, folks, is, is the grid by which the abundant life breathes and moves. Okay, your heart is the center of where God lives and moves inside of your life. And if your heart right now today is wrapped up with anger, bitterness, jealousy, envy, it might even be somebody in this room you're having a hard time with because you have bitterness in your heart towards that person. I want to tell you something. Your heart has become polluted. Your heart has become polluted, and guess what? The abundant life cannot happen in that pollution. It just can't happen. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever gone out hiking somewhere, somewhere beautiful? You get on this trail or you drive somewhere and you have to drive on these dirt roads for a long place, but you're out there to go see some waterfall or some historic monument. And Ty and I, we get to do this a lot because I love going outdoors. And so we'll travel and we'll be gone, you know, we'll off on these dirt roads for miles and we get out and we hike for miles and we go to this beautiful, epic place where we're looking at these like petroglyphs from like Indians who had written on the walls. And why is it when I'm looking at all this, I look off in the right and someone put graffiti on a rock. It's ever happened to you? And you, you go out there and you're like, who puts graffiti out here in the middle of no? No one's going to see it. Why would you do something like that? 
Have you ever gone to like a, like a beautiful waterfall, especially in Southern California? You go to this beautiful waterfall, and you get there, and you're like, man, it's just gorgeous. And then at the bottom of the waterfall, there's like tires and like cups and all this stuff floating in the water. And doesn't it kind of just destroy the moment? It destroys the beauty of the place that you're in. It almost, it almost pulls you back from where you're supposed to go. And here's the thing, our hearts are like that. If we live our life with that kind of stuff, like envy and bitterness and angerness, man, you're never going to experience the abundant life. It's polluted. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. If there is breath in your lungs today, you have the ability to repent. God's grace is sufficient. He says, you have the ability to turn around and say, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to live my life in this anymore. I want to be free of that. I want to have the abundant life that you have. And so if we understand that our heart is the grid of all of this stuff, and we clear our hearts, and we understand the perspective that we're holding on to something eternal that goes beyond this world, then he says that that's the abundant life. Now, I want to say this. With that heavenly perspective in mind, if we're living that, we begin to be fully drawn in and wholly pulled into this abundant life. And when you do, you naturally come to a place where you have to live the obedient life. So if we get the abundant life, we have to understand that the abundant life only comes with the obedient life. Now, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for a lot of people, and I believe that this is where a lot of people don't make it. This is where I believe a lot of people fall short, and they live less than God's best for their life because of this simple thing. All of what I'm about to teach with you tonight, or to this morning, all of what I'm about to teach you, it hinges upon this one central theme. If we don't grasp a hold of this, everything else means nothing. If we can't learn to live an obedient life, then we miss it. This is the place where God wants us to be. He wants us to be obedient. And so let me just ask you this, because I think this is really interesting. A lot of times, Christians will say a prayer, they'll become a Christian, they might live Christians for, for a long time, but never being truly, fully obedient to God. And then we have this expectation that God should just somehow bless us. But I want to ask this question. In what area or what arena in your life are you allowed to go into and do whatever you want, never obeying any of the rules, and then just expect that you should get blessed in return? I mean, can you do that at work? Can you just go to work and just do whatever you want, never you decide to go to work and just not obey any of the rules, and you should still get a paycheck? Some of you might, but no. Unless your last name is Kardashian, it doesn't happen like that, okay? That's, that's not the way it works, Okay. Kids can't just do whatever they want and decide that they should just get all the things that they, I mean, they feel that way, but that's not the way it is. So what happens when Christians all of a sudden think, well, I don't have to do all the things that God said, but he's a holy and righteous God, so he should just bless me. It doesn't work that way. It says it doesn't work that way. We have, to, we have to be drawn into this life where we become obedient, where we're willing to say, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. Because I believe 100% that your promise for me is good. And while in the situation right now, maybe I don't understand, maybe I don't see, but I don't need to have an answer to that, I know that you've got something better for me, and I'm just going to do what you called me to do. You see, that's the abundant life. That's also the obedient life. This is such a huge theme in Scripture, uh, obedience, such a huge theme in Scripture. Jesus, when he's about to teach in Mark chapter 8, he calls the crowd together because he's about to give them a lesson. So much of this is so important, not just the people in the crowd, like oftentimes we think about the crowds and the disciples standing behind him. No, no, no. He calls his disciples around. Mark chapter 8, he calls everyone together, and listen to the things that, that Jesus tells 
the crowd and his disciples about what it means to live life with God, to be obedient to him and to experience all that he has. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, and he, meaning Jesus, he summoned the crowd and with his disciples. So he pulls his disciples, and this is too important of a thing. And he says to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, and he must take up his cross and follow me. The perspective here is that we have to come to the point of complete desperation in our life. We know that we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do in our life because we're all sinners. That we're willing to sacrifice our own life to say, God, I want the life that you have for me. That's perspective. Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to be willing to get up on that cross and give your life and say, it's done. Not my desires, not my will, not those things that I want, but what you want in my life. And so Jesus says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I think when they heard this message, they might have been a little perplexed. It kind of doesn't make sense. Wait, so you're telling me that I have to lose my life in order to save it, but if I try to save my life, then I have to... They They didn't understand. But see, Jesus was trying to teach them a lesson. He said, you can't do it on your own. You can't do these things by yourself. You can't can't get to heaven by yourself. It doesn't work that way. Now, I know that there's some people who would say, you know, well, hold on a second here, Ronnie. What what are you trying to say? Are are you trying to say that that I have to earn my way? I have to earn my way to heaven? No, no, no. You see, the grace that God gives, it's opposed to earning. However, it's not opposed to effort. It requires effort on our part. It requires something on our part. Realize that if God presents the abundant life to you over here, then he also says you have to do something in return. You have to be obedient to the life that I'm going to give you. If you want to achieve the abundant life, you must be willing to sacrifice yourself so that you can be obedient to the things that I have for you. You know, some people don't like that idea. No, well, I I thought you could just say a prayer and I could just be in heaven. I don't really need to do all those other things, right? Well, you know, maybe my theology is wrong. And maybe that is true. But is that really the life that you want to live? You want to live your whole life here on this earth never experiencing heaven now? Let me just say this. If you think that you can walk this life without experiencing God now and just get to heaven and everything's going to be great, let me tell you, if you don't get to learn God now, when you get to heaven, you're going to be in for a huge surprise. Because God is everywhere. That's his place. And the whole idea of having a relationship with him is that we get to do something. We get to know him here so that when we get to be in eternity with him, it's beautiful. That's the whole point of a relationship. No relationship in in our life ever works where I don't do anything and this person does all the other stuff. It doesn't work that way, and it doesn't work that way with God. we got to be willing to sacrifice ourselves and say, no, I'm going to be obedient to you. I want to share a quote with you from a man named Malcolm Muggeridge. And I love the way that he put this, and the way that he said it is so perfect. So I'm just going to read it to you. He says this, I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. For those two discoveries, I am eternally in debt to Jesus Christ. He says, when I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to try to be happy. Instead, I'm just going to just focus on doing what God has called me to do. I'm going to sacrifice my desires, sacrifice my wants, and say, God, I'm just going to be obedient and follow the direction, the path that you have for me. And he says, the minute I did that, all of a sudden, joy, purpose, passion, hope, and life came to me. 
You see, that's the abundant life. It has to come with the obedient life. Now, I want to say this. If you're, if, you're, if you're ready to sacrifice your life to experience the abundant life, then you have to be willing to make the hard decisions. You have to be willing to make the hard calls and say, this is what I have to do. When God says, and he does, be in your word every day, then guess what you do? You be in your word every day. If God says that you need to love others, then guess what you do? You love others. And he does say that in his word. If God, and he does, tell you to turn from adultery, then you turn from adultery. You stop living that life today. If God says, and he does, don't smoke weed, don't, don't smoke marijuana, then you stop and you turn. If you stop getting drunk, stop being drunk, he says, stop doing that. You stop doing that. That's what it means to deny self, to pick up your cross, and to follow Jesus. If you can understand and grasp a hold of that, then guess what? The abundant life is right around the corner for you. God has got something in store for you, something amazing for you, but you got to be willing to sacrifice self. I know this decision is hard, and I had to make the tough call in my own life. I, uh, it was just a, you know, about eight or nine years ago that I was barely even a Christian, and I was kind of living this fine line back and forth. And I had my friends who I just, they were my friends. I grew up with them. I knew them for 15, 15 years. And so now I'm a Christian, and I know that there's two different lives that I see living here, and so I'm supposed to just give them up. But wait, that doesn't make sense because I love them. They're my friends. And this is the one area I see a lot of Christians struggle in is they just don't want to give up the old life. They don't want to give up the old friends because they love them. And it's funny. Christians, man, we can over-spiritualize anything, right? We'll make excuses for anything. Well, I hang out with them because I'm sharing God with them. I'm sharing, I'm being Christ in Really? Are you? I'd love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations and hear what you're really talking about. But see, we can over-spiritualize anything. And so here we are, I'm with my friends, I'm walking kind of back and forth, and I just, I knew, God was telling me, he's like, Ronnie, you've got to get your life together, this is not the life that I've called you to live. And I'm sitting there in this bar with my friends, nothing good is happening in this bar. It's 10 o'clock at night, nothing good is happening, I'm sitting there, I haven't had one drink, I'm watching my friends start to, you know, drink more and more, and I had to make the decision. 10 o'clock, I got up out of my seat, and I said, hey, I'm going to go home. And they all looked at me with this puzzled look in their face like, huh? I said, I'm going home, man. And I think they knew that was the beginning of the end for our relationship in that. And I remember in the coming weeks, I would get phone calls and I would talk to them and they'd be like, you don't love us, you don't love us. You, what's wrong with you? Why, do you, why are you doing this? Why, why can't you do both? You know, it came down to this. It's not that I don't love them, it's that I love Jesus more. In the end, I love Jesus more. There was a life that he had for me. And I wanted that, and I wanted that. And I had to make the decision, would I sacrifice that in order to have all that God has for me? But I, I want people to understand you've got to grasp a hold of how important this decision is. You know, one of the toughest, it's the most exciting and at the same time one of the most scariest things for me is when I give an invitation on a Wednesday night and we have, you know, people come forward and accept Jesus Christ and inside of me there's so much joy and so much excitement because I'm like, yes, all these people are about to commit their lives to Jesus. On the other end, it scares me because I just don't understand, I hope they understand the commitment they're about to make. Do you understand what you're saying to yourself? You're willing to say that I'm going to die to myself in order to have the life that God has for me. And so I'll sit there with all these people, and I'll pray this prayer of where we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and we say amen. The first thing I say to everybody after we pray that prayer, I say this. If what you did today ends here, it means nothing. It means nothing. You have to continue this life on with God. You have to continue being obedient and walking with him. It can't end here. 
Now, I know that the Holy Spirit from that point on takes over, and it's not me. And so I have to let the Holy Spirit, you know, move in their hearts. But I'll tell you, that's scary because I think, I wonder, do people understand what, what they're being asked to do? Man, it's incredible. When you start living life with God and being obedient, the abundant life is amazing. It's amazing. I just think sometimes people don't really get there because they're not willing to be completely 100% obedient to God. Man, when you, when you walk fully in the steps that God has for you, oh, life is incredible. Life is amazing. Which brings me to my last point this, this morning, that if you are in the abundant life, that means that you are living the obedient life. And here, which I think is one of the funnest parts of this whole message that God has for us, is this. You were meant to enjoy life. You were meant to enjoy life, church. You were meant to enjoy life with God. This is a great thing, okay? I don't know. I, sometimes I think Christians, we, we're just so wound up so tight, man. It's like we're ready to burst. And you know what? If you're walking with God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, you should have so much joy and excitement in your life. It should just go. But you know, I see Christians a lot of times, they're walking around, they're like, always oh, angry, and like, oh, I got to get to church, and I got to get my Bible, and I got to get my seat. <laughs> I'm like, enjoy life, Right? I often joke about this with the staff. Some of the most unchristian things I've ever seen have been in the church parking lot. <laughs> I got to get to Rubio's, and people are like flying through there, you know, like not letting people out of the thing. It's like, come on, people. You're just in church. Enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. Some of you in this room need to take a vacation so you can just enjoy life. Let it go and experience what God has for you. Amen. How do I know that God wants us to enjoy life? Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I love this story. And I hope that, I hope that you grasp this story and, and how beautiful it is. Because if there was any person on the face of the planet who ever existed that was, had an, an, an emergency, he had a mission, he had this pressure to accomplish his goal, it was Jesus Christ himself. His job wasn't like your job. He had to redeem all of humanity, okay? And so his mission is to go out and redeem all of humanity. And guess what happens as he gets ready to start his ministry? He gets invited to a wedding. Now, I may be stepping out on a limb here, but I'm not the biggest fan of going to weddings, okay? Now, I know people are like, that's, that's really not kind, that's not, no, no, look, you all feel that way, right? Because you're sitting there, hours in, like, okay, is there going to be food, and what time is this going to happen, and what time can we leave, and do you think they'll notice if we walk out? You're all thinking it, right? <laughs> and so here's Jesus, he's got a mission, he's got to redeem humanity, and all of a sudden he gets invited to a wedding, and you know what he does? He goes to it. He gathers all his boys, his disciples, says, we're going to this party, and we're going to have fun. And so he stops what he's doing, and he goes, now let's pick up the story in John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. I'd like to stop here and make this point. <laughs> Unless you are the incarnate Jesus Christ, do not respond to your mother with, woman, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
Now there were six water pots that were set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, he said, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The head waiter called to the bridegroom, he said to him, he says, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you, sir, you have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glories, and his disciples believed in him. Now, let me just explain some context for you here. A Jewish wedding that Jesus would have went to wasn't like our weddings, which are short, man. If you get a good Christian pastor, you're talking 15-minute ceremony, okay? 10 minutes, 15 minutes, max, okay? These things lasted like weeks, weeks. And here's the crazy thing. They would hire this guy who was the head waiter. The head waiter was responsible for making sure that the whole ceremony went off without a hitch and that every person was fed and they all had wine. Those are the things that you needed for a wedding in Jesus. You needed a bride, a groom, and wine. Those are the things that you needed. And so everyone, and here's the thing. If any of the guests, for whatever reason, weren't satisfied, they could actually take legal action against the person. Now, I've been to some pretty bad weddings. I don't know if I'd take legal action, but you could in Jesus' day. So this was a big deal. But what we see in this picture is that I think we, we sometimes get so wrapped up in life. And here's the thing. Like I said, as Christians, we over-spiritualize things. Sometimes we get so busy in doing for God, we miss being with God. We just miss being with him. I talk to a lot of people who are like, I'm in ministry. I do this. I go to work. I got this. I got this. And I still don't have the presence of God. And I go, maybe because you're not being present with God. Maybe you're not standing there because I believe that God is the God of the here and now. He's here today. If you worry about the future, if you get caught up in what's happening or what could happen, or if you're stuck in the past, you're back there. Let me tell you something. That's not where God is. God is here today. He's here now with you. And he's trying to get you to where he wants you to go. And so Jesus stops all that he's doing to come to this party, and he makes water turn into wine. Now, God wants us to take this time and to enjoy life. If you have your, your Bibles and you could flip back over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, that's where we were at earlier, I want to show you how this, this passage fits so beautifully with the life that God has called us to live, an abundant life, an obedient life, and lastly, he wants us to enjoy life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but instead on the God who richly supplies us with all things to what? Enjoy. Enjoy. God, he, he gives us those things. He wants us to enjoy those things. He wants us to have life and life abundantly, exceedingly, beyond all that we could ever think, or hope, or imagine. That's the God that we serve. And some of us need to just enjoy life. We need to allow God to just pour into our lives. Some of us, we're dry. We're dry. Man, our water pots are empty. And we are in such desperate need of some wine. We, we need something to quench our thirst. And so what do we do? We try to fill it with all this temporal stuff in our life. If I just work more, if I just do these things, and I, I'll get this, and then maybe that'll fill that void, and I'll feel better. And you know what? It never does. That's the exact reason why you always want more, because it never, ever satisfies. And so some of us are dry, and we need something. But I want to tell you that, man, we serve a God who wants to turn your water into wine because he's a God of an abundance. 
Now, I want to just go back to this story here at the wedding at Cana for a second. I want to have you think about this. It doesn't say this in the text, but I, I, I kind of know God, and he has this little sense of humor. At what point do you think that that water turned to wine? Knowing God, it was probably the last possible second, right? Because that's how God works. Some of us were like clamoring for things. God, we just need this, we need this, we need this. And all of a sudden, we're in this constant communication with God every single second, every single day. You know what God goes? I like this. I actually like this. I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to give it to you right away because I like this. And so I can just imagine the waiter standing there, you know, he's, he's, he's freaking out because now all this water's, and he gets this cup of like this murky, nasty water, and he's supposed to drink it, and his hand's probably shaking like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And the minute he puts it to his lips and that first drop just touches his lips, I think that's when Jesus turned it to wine. <laughs> I think that's when he did it. And when the waiter took a sip, he went, oh, he said, sir, he says, most weddings, they always serve the good wine first, and they water it down so that they can make it last longer. But he says, you, no, 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 no. He says, you have saved the best for last. You see, this is a beautiful picture of us and God. Because he is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. And God, he has saved the best for us for the last. I want to tell you that today, man, if you're in here, and you're dry, your water pots are empty, and you're thirsting, and you're in need of something, I want to tell you something, that your best days, the best days are ahead of you, because that's how God is. We serve a God of an abundance. He doesn't ration his blessings. He pours them out on our life. When we're obedient and we're living with him, God wants to pour those things out. He wants to lavish them on us. That's the God that we serve. And some of you might be struggling. You're having a hard time, but let me just tell you this, that if you give your best today, if you give your very best today to follow God, God will best your tomorrow. He will better your tomorrow. If you just focus in on him and say, God, I, I want to be obedient to you. I want to live a life that you've called me to be, and I want to follow you completely. He says, if you just do that, God will take your water and he will turn it into wine. Because he's a God of an abundance, and that's the God we serve. I, uh, I want to say this, that uh, if you're a Christian in here right now, I'm going to ask that you just start praying. Start praying for those around you who need to experience Jesus for the first time. For those of you who, uh, man, maybe have not been living the abundant life because you're not obedient. Or maybe the reason why you're not experiencing the abundant life is because you're harboring some things in your heart that aren't allowing you to be free. And so for some of you, maybe you need to recommit your life this morning. You need to say, I need a fresh start. I need to wipe the slate clean. I need to say, God, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly, completely today. Then I want you to do that today. For some of you in here, it's going to be the first time you've ever said yes to Jesus. You might have been in church your whole life, but you've never said yes. You've never said, I want that life. I want the life abundant. I want to be able to have, enjoy life. Then I'm going to ask you this morning to make a commitment to say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. Thank you for the life that you give, the abundant life that you give. And Lord, I pray that in this room, this morning, God, that someone needs to let go, stop asking why, and just hold on to the promise of good for their life. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break through that hardened heart and you would soften it. Lord, I pray for those who are wayward, who have wandered off and find themselves back here today. Lord, I pray that they would have enough courage to turn around and to repent and to come back to you so that they can experience all that you have for them. Right now, in the stillness and the quietness, if God is calling you to make that commitment to him, and you'll know, you'll know it, then I'm gonna pray a prayer and I want you to just repeat these words and just mean it. Just claim the words that I'm about to say as your own and say, these are mine. I believe, I believe, God, you want to give me an abundant life. And I believe, God, you want me to enjoy life. And I'm not doing it right now, but I'm going to take the step of faith and believe. So right now, if God's calling you, I want you to just pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. And I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. To forgive me of my sin. To heal me of my hurt and to give me a new life. And while I haven't been doing all the things you asked me to do, God, today I wanna turn. Today I want a new start. Today I want you and I want this life abundantly. And so I give my life wholeheartedly to you. It's in your son's name I pray. And I say, amen. Wow, praise God for those of you who prayed that prayer.